think the absolute priority that, that I got through this process was the proper integration of, of USC and UCLA, number one priority. We have to do that right, and there's a lot of effort underway to do that, and I'm going to spend a lot of time at, on that myself. The second thing I'll say is I, I think as commissioner of the Big Ten, my job is to make sure the conference is as strong in the future, present and future, as it's always been, and I'll just sort of leave it at that. But that's the way I would look at, at all of that. Welcome to May. It is May 1st, 2023. Here on Always College Football, I'm Greg McElroy alongside Jack Foster, Mark Kubiak. Jake's with us as well. We appreciate so much you being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We have a jam-packed show today. I mean, a lot that we got to get to. We got to dive into the transfer portal. We're going to give you a little bit of a rankings. Top five transfer quarterbacks of all time. You already heard from the Big Ten commissioner. There is a new sheriff in town there in Chicago leading the most profitable conference in college football. What are his immediate plans? We'll address those here in just a little bit. Speaking of transfers, Michigan State got a couple of notables that have entered the portal in the last 24 hours. Where will they end up? And what does this mean for Mel Tucker's program? And then finally, when we talk about transfers, we only talk about the success stories. I'm going to give you a list of not-so-successful stories from the transfer portal. So be careful what you wish for. The grass is not always greener on the other side, even though everyone naturally thinks that it is. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. Before we dive into some of the notable transfers, both in failure and success, over the modern day history of college football, let's at least address so everybody understands the portal rules. Because I do feel like there is a bit of a misconception as to how the portal works, how you enter the portal, what the timing is, what are the windows, what are the exemptions, what are the waivers, what are the graduate transfer rules. All those things really need to be laid out. And until we can totally do that, I don't feel like we're getting anywhere. So let's at least start with the foundation of the transfer portal itself. It came back in not 2018 to give players a little bit more, I guess, transparency as they're navigating through what was at that point a very turbulent climate, trying to become more player empowerment, trying to give guys additional opportunities, things that maybe didn't work out at the last school. This was a way of doing it, and it was clean, and it was easy. Now, the numbers have not suggested that it's been real easy, to be honest with you. There are 1,600 players that have entered the portal this time around, 450 of which left scholarship opportunities and yet still reside in the portal with no home in sight. So there are some problems with the portal. That's not what today's for. It's to explain exactly how the process goes. Now, there are 60 days a year in which a player can enter their name in the portal. You have the obvious portal at the end of season, which starts on the Monday after bowl announcements are set, and that period is open for 45 days. So you have month and a half from the end of bowls or the end of your regular season, so the Monday after championship Saturday, all the way through basically the end of January to be able to decide whether or not you want to enter your name in the portal. Now, one thing that I don't think people realize is that once you enter the portal, you can commit 
and go at any point. You don't have to announce your destination in that 45-day window at the end of the season. All you have to do is go into your compliance office and you have to tell the athletic department, tell them that you intend to transfer and then there's a 48-hour window in which your university will enter your name into the portal. So since the portal closed in the spring, more on the spring transfer window in just a minute, there are still guys that have entered that we are not currently aware of because there is about a 48-hour grace period. So that's the 45 days at the end of the regular season. After spring football, the NCAA recently implemented a 15-day transfer window. It was originally set to run from May 1st to May 15th, but they thought they needed to move that up just a little bit to better coincide with spring practice and when decisions might ultimately get made. So they moved it up. The portal is open from April 15th until April 30th. Like I said, as long as you enter your name in the portal, you can return to school. You can go elsewhere, assuming you meet the academic and admission requirements. So a little bit of a misconception there. Those guys that are in the portal right now, just because they haven't announced their eventual destination doesn't mean that they're ineligible or have to go through the waiver process. And then one final detail for guys that might have entered into the portal back in January, that original 45-day window, they can't transfer again if they are an undergraduate student. You get a one-time transfer decision. That's a free and clear, allowed to go from one school to the other without any issues whatsoever. But if you, for whatever reason, made a bad decision in January and you re-enter the portal after your spring semester, you do have to apply for a waiver. And the NCAA has essentially said there are three reasons why undergraduate transfer players will be considered for waivers and immediate 2023 and 24 eligibility as a multiple-time transfer. One, for reasons related to the student-athlete's physical or mental well-being. Very open-ended, very vague. I'm not sure I totally understand it, but if I say my mental health isn't good at one specific school, can I get a waiver? I don't know. Number two, due to circumstances outside of the student-athlete's control, meaning they had some type of discrimination, uh, physical assault, something along the lines of that, that would be reason number two why you would receive a waiver. And number three, assertions involving diagnosed education-impacting disabilities. So those are the three reasons why the NCAA would grant a waiver. They are going to be more get difficult to receive. So you kind of see them laid out. They're a little open-ended. They're a little bit vague. But any of the three would potentially lead to you being able to transfer a second time, maybe a third time, without any issues whatsoever. So now that we've kind of put a bow on all the different variations of Portal, we can move forward with our big picture discussion. There are so many examples of incredible transfer quarterbacks. We'll, we'll limit it just because of just sheer numbers. We'll limit it to quarterbacks. And we'll also do it here in the modern era. Because if I go back to Troy Aikman in the 80s, he didn't go in the portal. It was a little different era. There was a little bit more to it. You had to sit out. There was just extenuating circumstances that make me feel like that era was completely different. Now, is 2010 
different than 2023, sure, but I'm kind of combining them all under one umbrella because I feel like the level of play and the quality of play and just some of the things were a little bit more similar then than they are now. So here are the top five transfer quarterbacks of all time. At number five, recency is this guy's friend, but the fact that he could potentially come back and do it all over again and potentially get his team to the mountaintop this year, Caleb Williams comes in at number five. Of course, transfer from Oklahoma to USC, won the Heisman Trophy in its first year as a Trojan. But the one thing eluding him from the guys that will be listed in just a moment has not had playoff experience and has not ultimately won a national championship. Those are two boxes left unchecked, but we might be having a very different conversation about Caleb Williams one year from now. But he comes in as the number five transfer quarterback of all time. Number four, we're going to go with Kyler Murray, transferred from Texas A&M to Oklahoma. Did lead the Sooners in his one year as a starter to the college football playoff where they came up a little bit short to a terrific Alabama team in the Orange Bowl. Now, 21 games as a Sooner, was a backup to Baker Mayfield, more on him in a moment, for seven of those games. But if you look at what he was able to do, 70% completion, nearly 4,800 yards, had 15 or 1,200 yards rushing, excuse me, with 12 touchdowns, 45 touchdowns throwing it. He had a remarkable season and was a deserving Heisman Trophy winner. But the reason why he's only at four is he didn't quite have the national championship pedigree, and ultimately the success that would lead to him jumping any of the upcoming three. At number three is Baker Mayfield. Now, the one thing eluding him was the national championship. And if you look back to that 2017 Rose Bowl, where he went toe-to-toe with an elite Georgia Bulldogs team, they had a huge lead. That lead fell by the wayside in the second half. And ultimately, they came up just a little bit short. But man, you put that Oklahoma team against the eventual national champion, Alabama. I think they very easily could have won the whole dang thing had they played a little better in the second half of the football game as they did in the first half. But Baker Mayfield's accomplishments speak for themselves. I I think he's the only guy that I've ever had on my Heisman ballot three consecutive years. I had it in 15, had it in 16, and ultimately had it in 17 as well, where I had him at number one, where he ultimately won the Heisman Trophy. At number two, there was a long time in which this player had the standard for best quarterback season ever. It's Cam Newton of Auburn in 2010. Remember, started his career at Florida, ultimately by way of Blinn Junior College transfers to Auburn, and the rest is history. When you think about Cam Newton's greatness and just how much he carried that 2010 Auburn team He obviously won a Heisman Trophy. He won the national championship. But what's even more shocking is that Cam Newton led that offense, an offense that did not feature one, not one NFL reception or an NFL rush attempt. Not one. He was the only guy that did any of those things. So to think that he carried that 2010 Auburn team with not insane talent around him. On defense, they had some great players, but on offense not quite as many. He single-handedly willed them to the top of college football, ultimately defeating the Oregon Ducks for the national championship. And then at number one, it's Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow, if you look at his junior year, not great. But my goodness, his final year there in Baton Rouge, nobody has had a more accomplished season 
at the college level than Joe Burrow did in 2019. You might say, well, Bailey Zappi did at Western Kentucky. Sure, Bailey Zappi was a terrific transfer, but no national championship, no dice. Joe Burrow, 15-0, led one of, if not the greatest football teams we've ever seen, that being the 2019 LSU Tigers featuring Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards-Elair, some great players on defense, the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. They did it all, but they couldn't have done it all without Joe Burrow. Of course, three years at Ohio State, went toe-to-toe with Dwayne Haskins in the quarterback competition, came out on the losing end, but ultimately went to LSU, had a difficult first year where there were some ups and downs, but finished on a high note in the bowl game against UCF and carried some of that momentum from the bowl game into the 2019 season, where he left no doubt as one of the most accomplished players in the history of the sport. Heisman Trophy winner, national champion, and the best transfer quarterback in the modern-day history of college football. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage to the First Real Life Store stage, all the way to the Did We Just Hit a Million Orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Now on the flip side, because I feel like there is a disproportionate amount of coverage on the transfer success stories. And there is not nearly enough coverage of the guys that ultimately left good situations and they didn't become the player you always thought they might become. That's the tricky part here because we always want to talk about the Cam Newtons, the Baker Mayfields, the Kyler Murrays, the Caleb Williams, the Joe Burrows. Those guys are the anomaly. More often than not, when quarterbacks leave a good situation or a somewhat decent situation, the grass is not always greener on the other side. So if you are a college quarterback or a high school quarterback watching this, understand that while there are some notable successes, there are plenty of notable failures as well. Wanted to go through a list of guys that transferred from what were good situations that ultimately it wasn't the best move for their career. A couple of guys actually played at Notre Dame. Malik Zaire, Everett Golson, a couple of guys that come off the top of the, the list to me. I mean, Everett Golson ultimately finished his career at Florida State or transferred to Florida State from a BCS title team in Notre Dame back in 2012. Never worked out for him at Florida State. And then Malik Zaire went to Florida as a grad transfer where he only started a couple games, it didn't really work out. JT Daniels is the poster boy. He's now on school number four, started at SC, was the starting quarterback, played well, hurt his knee, had to transfer to Georgia, played well, ultimately got hurt, transferred to West Virginia, had moments, but not any really special moments. Then now ultimately transferred to Rice. Mitch Mustaine would be another example, a guy that led Arkansas to the SEC West title game as a true freshman In 2006, he ultimately transfers to USC because he didn't have the same ideology as Houston Nutt, who was the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks at the time. But in the two years 
that he was in Los Angeles. He played 21 games, but only attempted 89 passes and never won the starting job. So Mitch Mustaine would be an example. But there are several others in recent years that ultimately left decent situations, and it just didn't work out for them at their new home. Jeremiah Masoli, of course, when he was at Oregon back in 2009, they won the Pac-10 championship. He's this highly acclaimed guy, gets a couple of run-ins with the law in the offseason, ultimately transfers to Ole Miss, did have a somewhat productive year, I suppose, but if you define your productivity as a quarterback by wins and losses, they went 4-8, and eight, and he ultimately never even got a shot at the NFL. Did, however, go to Canada and do some good things. Another great example would be Jamie Newman, Wake Forest to Georgia. Guy had loads of potential. Guy had loads of talent. Thought he was going to step right in to become the guy for the Georgia Bulldogs. He never even took a snap after taking a lot of first-team reps there in the spring, was ultimately beat out, and ultimately decided not even to play football for the Dogs that upcoming year. We haven't seen or heard from him ever since. K.J. Costello left a good situation at Stanford to go play for Mike Leach there at Mississippi State. He started the first couple games, came out like gangbusters against LSU in his first career start, but ultimately was unseated after making several careless decisions in the first few weeks of the season and ultimately was beat out. Tate Martell, the transfer king, if you will. Ohio State to Miami to UNLV, never worked out. Charlie Brewer was a starter at Baylor, transferred to Utah, got beat out there, transferred to Liberty, got beat out there. Mackenzie Milton, of course, had that horrendous knee injury, thought he might be able to come back. It was a tremendous story to get back and take the field for Florida State, against Notre Dame, almost led a remarkable comeback, but ultimately was beat out by Jordan Travis in what was a really impressive quarterback competition. Joey Gatewood, Auburn to Kentucky to UCF. Zach Calzada, Texas A&M, hero against Alabama, transfers to Auburn, never even took a snap. Connor Basilak, Missouri, was a starter for a couple years, transferred to Indiana, ultimately got beat out. Max Johnson, LSU to Texas A&M, started for a couple minutes, after Haynes King got hurt, but ultimately got unseated by a true freshman a little bit later on, still battling for the starting job. But those are the examples of several guys where, you know what? I got a good situation, but I think my situation can improve if I go elsewhere and it doesn't always work out. And some guys that would fall under that umbrella this season. There are a bunch of guys that left happy for what they think might be great, but it's still TBD if they're even going to become the starting quarterback at their upcoming school. Spencer Sanders is the first one on the top of my list, a guy to watch. Transferred after having started many years at Oklahoma State. He's now in a battle with Jackson Dart at Ole Miss to see who's going to become the starting quarterback. And based on what you're hearing from people in Oxford, Mississippi, Jackson Dart does have a leg up in that competition. Now, Spencer Sanders was limited a little bit in the spring, but Jackson Dart took some significant strides. So Sanders left what was probably a starting spot at Oklahoma State, a likely starting spot at Oklahoma State, to going to a quarterback battle and one in which he's going to have to make up some significant ground. Phil Jerkovic was at Boston College. He now transfers to Pitt. TBD as to whether or not, got to think he's probably going to be the guy, has a good understanding of what they want to be offensively, has familiarity and rapport with the offensive coordinator. But it's anybody's guess as to whether or not his situation will improve drastically from Boston College to Pitt. Devin Leary at NC State had some great moments at NC State. Terrific moments playing for the Wolfpack, 
but did have a spotty injury history. Went into last year, it didn't happen for him, got injured, wanted a fresh start, decides to call Kentucky home now. He's lined up with a nice offensive coordinator in Liam Cohen, but it is a little bit of an unknown as to whether or not the offensive line is going to improve. He's got great weapons, but the O-line and the run game last year, not what it's been in recent years for Kentucky. Sam Hartman is an example. Even though I love Sam Hartman, we'll talk about him again here in a moment. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks in college football. I think he's a gifted player, does occasionally get a little bit turnover prone, but either way, very gifted and accomplished player. We're talking about a guy that's top 20 all time in passing yards and passing touchdowns, but opting to start over by transferring to Notre Dame from Wake Forest. Brennan Armstrong was the starter at Virginia, never felt like he mixed last year with Tony Elliott as they tried to implement some new offensive philosophies. They looked disjointed. They looked out of sync. He's now starting over at NC State, replacing Devin Leary, who obviously we talked about a moment ago, left NC State for Kentucky. And then finally, Keaton Slovis, formerly of Pitt, now at BYU. People are saying really positive things about what he might be in replacing Jaron Hall, big shoes to fill. But as BYU transitions into the Big 12, having a guy with as much starting experience as Keaton Slovis has would be beneficial. Of course, missed a little time last year, got a little banged up from time to time, but did show at times the ability to be efficient for that pit offense. So those are a list of guys that left fairly decent situations to start over. Hopefully it works out for all of the above. And then finally, before we move on to talk a little bit about some of the spring game stuff from this past weekend, let's talk a little bit about five guys that might be at the top of the college football world this year and just how many are transfers. We've already talked about Caleb Williams. We've talked about Jordan Travis. It's been mentioned a little bit earlier. He transferred. You might not know this because he transferred so early. Started his career at Louisville. Now is a starting quarterback in Florida State and has the Seminoles in a great spot to compete, not just for the ACC title, but maybe for a college football playoff berth as well. You got another guy in Sam Hartman, who I've already talked about here, lit it up in the spring, feel great about what he might ultimately be, especially after what he did in the last two scrimmages, most recently the spring game, looking like he has a nice grasp for what Notre Dame wants to be as they move into the summer and ultimately into the fall. Those are three of the top guys in college football. Another guy that's at the top of the game would be Michael Penix. Michael Penix, a guy that's legit, also a transfer from Indiana. Cam Rising, a transfer from Texas. These are all guys that would be at the top of the college football world that all transferred at one point or another in their college football career. And the only guy that didn't, that would be considered super elite, top flight, big time returning quarterback in 2023 is Drake May. He's the only guy that has for the most part stayed at home. There are a few others that have been at one place or another, but not many. A lot of guys are on their second school and now have kind of accelerated to the top of the college football world. One of those guys, Bo Nix, originally started his career at Auburn. He is now at Oregon where he looks poised to become, at worst, a top 10, top 8, top 5 quarterback in college football coming up this year. Oregon had their spring game this past weekend. A lot of us, self-included, very bullish on what the Ducks might be in Dan Lanning's second year. A couple of quick takeaways. It's not often 
you see a starting quarterback still in the game, an established starting quarterback that by all means doesn't need the reps, that's in the game in the final minute of the game, that's scoring the game-winning touchdown with a minute and two seconds left. It just goes to show you Bo Nix's competitive character and how badly he wanted to be out there. It's pretty wild to me to think that it's basically a glorified practice, not really a whole lot on the line, and Bo Nix is willing his team to win there at the very end. He looks comfortable and ready to take the next step. Felt like there were a bunch of drops by wide receivers, which is a little bit concerning. I counted at least five that I would qualify as drops, but there were a few others that I thought maybe if played a little bit better could have been caught as well. So they need to iron that out. The one positive aspect of what I saw from the offensive personnel, it does appear like the receiving core has a couple of guys that could break out. Chris Hudson led all receivers with 143 rushing yards or 143 receiving yards on five catches led all players in total yards gained. So a lot of people thought he might be on the cusp of maybe losing his job to one of the younger players. He clearly asserted himself, said, man, I'm not going to go quietly if I go at all. And you look at Tez Johnson, man, this guy appears to be the real deal. Transferred over from Troy, was named the most valuable player by a couple of people that were on the call and that were working the game, that were noticing the game. He didn't have as many yards as the aforementioned Hudson. But if you look at his burst after the catch, took one play from Ty Thompson, a little six-yard throw, and can take it the distance. The guy has some real electricity that will help this offense a lot, especially when it comes to the catch and run. And then on the other side of the ball defensively, not to say that Oregon at any point last year was soft. They were far from it. But if there was one thing I noticed, and it was maybe a couple a couple young players, it did look like the team, and Dan Lanning has been on the record, saying, I think we're going to be a more physical football team this year. Based on what I saw, it does appear like he is correct. This team had some big hits. This team delivered some big, big, big plays up front. There's some things to like about what I saw from Oregon. So they were a team I wasn't, you know, I wasn't 100% sure on. I have to replace the OC. I have to do some different things. I have some guys that need to step up. I have some young guys that will be kind of thrown into the mix, have a transfer player that might come in and, and be a big difference maker for them. But I was curious about how physical they be. And man, they look like they are on their way in that regard. So very good thing if you're Oregon and you're going to have to match the physicality of a Washington, of an Oregon State, of a Utah. Pac-12 is very physical. It does appear like Oregon could be the bell of the ball when it comes to physicality out West this year. Like we always do, we always want to try to involve at least one question from our mailbag in every single show. So you can submit your questions. We have a long list. And when they're timely, we try to get to them as soon as humanly possible. So let's go to the mailbag today. You can submit yours, alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Always CFB on both Instagram and on Twitter. Coops, where are we going today? All right, this one comes from Nick in Michigan. It says, Peyton Thorne and Keon Coleman just entered the transfer portal. Is there a reason for concern for Michigan State fans in regards to Mel Tucker's program? Let's not get carried away because at this point, right, and we are taping this here on Monday morning. So by the time you're watching this, things might have changed and maybe they've already found a new home or whatnot. But what we've learned a lot 
about the transfer portal is that guys will use it to leverage their own NIL deals. Now, they're also probably a little interested to see, hey, what else is out there? Can I improve my situation from an NIL standpoint? It's a little bit like holding out in the NFL. So I wouldn't panic too much if I were a Michigan State fan at the moment. Now, you're probably wondering who is Peyton Thorne, who is Keon Coleman. If you're not a Michigan State fan or if you're not a fan of, you know, big picture college football, these are two difference making players. Now you're going to say, well, Peyton Thorne was entrenched in the quarterback battle this spring and, you know, he didn't want to compete and he didn't want to do this. He, he probably didn't like the fact that it was an open quarterback competition when he had been the starter for the last two years and in 21 had a terrific year throwing for 27 touchdowns against just 10 interceptions last year. Not quite as good. And when you have a three-way quarterback competition, it's not necessarily ideal. And Peyton Thorne probably didn't love the way the reps were dispersed throughout the spring. The thing is, there are a lot of teams out there right now that are quarterback needy and that are going to be super aggressive when it comes to pursuing a quarterback in the transfer portal. A couple of teams off the top of my head that would be highly intrigued. Bama has already added one in Tyler Buckner, but how about Auburn? Tell me Auburn wouldn't improve their quarterback situation in a heartbeat if they could by going out and getting a guy like Peyton Thorne. You go out and you look at the Pac-12. Obviously, not a ton of quarterback competitions that are ongoing, but UCLA might be willing. They already took Colin Schley, but would they be willing to add another guy to the mix that might be able to push for the starting job. There's just a handful of programs that are in need of quarterback depth. And I think Thorne would probably come in, whether it's him or Casey Thompson, who also entered the portal from the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Those would probably be your top two guys available right now in the transfer portal. So to see exactly where they went end up and to see what kind of suitors they have will be something that is very interesting. And then moving over to Keon Coleman, I think what's difficult here is that you have a situation in which last year against Washington, you have Jaden Reed, who is your guy. He's out. Well, you just wonder who's going to step up. Well, Keon Coleman now goes out that game, nine catches, 116 yards, a couple touchdowns. They ultimately lost the game, but it kind of gave you a glimpse of what might be coming in Keon Coleman's 2023 season and beyond. And for him to enter the portal at a position, by the way, looking at the athletic and the athletic, I think does a remarkable job covering the sport. Wide receiver is plentiful in the portal right now. And I'm not talking just your run of the mill guys. I'm talking about potential difference makers. And according to the athletic, seven of the top 17 players in the portal play wide receiver. You got Gary Bryant, you got, you know, Zakari from UTSA, you got Keon Coleman, you got a handful of others that might be able to immediately step in and be a difference maker for someone somewhere. Now, there are question marks as to, you know, whether or not where would Keon Coleman be in the pecking order. Some might have him one overall in the portal at wide receiver. Some might have him five. I, I don't know. All I know is that he can help somebody. So he might be leveraging Michigan State. Maybe he gets a big NIL deal, decides to remain. But either way, this is not good for Michigan State. But 
Charles Brantley, by the way, also entered the portal, who is a starting corner for the Spartans as well. Here's what I wouldn't be too concerned with because the portal works both ways. And Mel Tucker has been really aggressive in going out and trying to improve his roster dating back to 21 and getting guys in the portal. And when you bring guys in, you're going to lose guys as well. So this is not totally earth shattering. You look at Colorado, they've had 71 guys in the portal from their 2022 team. That to me is concerning. Michigan State, not nearly that much quantity that has turned over in the last couple seasons, but there is some quality because all three of the aforementioned players can play at a high level and can play winning football for the Spartans. I wouldn't rule them out on returning to Michigan State, but it is a little bit of an eye-opener seeing difference makers entering the portal at this stage of the game. All right, final thought. Buried last week in a ton of coverage of the NFL draft and NHL, NBA playoffs. You got XFL. You got all this stuff going on last week. It's been a busy time in the sports world. Buried was the introductory press conference of Tony Petiti, who is the new commissioner of the Big Ten. And I think what's interesting about this, now, we went through and we've watched it multiple times. I thought he did a terrific job of kind of dancing around some questions. And I do think, too, when you look at Tony Petiti's background, okay, if you're unfamiliar with who he is, he's able to build a consensus. He's able to collaborate. And that is imperative when it comes to handling the current nuance of college football. When you look at this, man, if you look at the last several hires, whether it be George Klyovkov at the Pac-12, Brett Yormark of the Big 12, it's obviously remarkably important to be able to create and help build bridges. Now, obviously, with Petiti, his background is having worked at CBS Sports. Uh, helping launch CBS Sports Network. He worked at the BCS, has been friends with college executives for years and clearly understands all the intricacies and the back and forth between corporate alliances and college athletics. He also understands the broadcast media side because he spent time with that as well. I think that it's going to be huge to watch exactly what goes down here in the near term. But based on everything coming out of the Big Ten in the last several weeks, this quote stood out more to me than just about anything else. And this is by way of Nicole Auerbach, who got this quote from Robert Jones, who's the University of Illinois Chancellor. Clearly, right now, the priority is on UCLA. Dr. Jones said, quote, Our first priority is to successfully integrate UCLA and USC. At the same time, we know that the landscape is shifting, and for us, it's time to be very thoughtful and analytical. Are we thinking about realignment? Of course. We're doing analysis, the cost, the benefits at staying at 16, or moving up. It's not something we're going to just do to react to what other conferences may choose to do. We're only going to do what's best for our current membership, and there has to be some value added for expanding beyond. 
Now, I thought Tony Petiti, he was hit time and time again. But it is interesting. Their exclusive focus now at the Big Ten is successfully integrating USC and UCLA. Scheduling, being able to figure out the logistics of having not just football programs, but non-revenue generating sports, Olympic sports, traveling cross-country, knowing that your geographic footprint spans from sea to shining sea. So it's going to be very interesting to figure out exactly how they incorporate those aspects of it while still making sure the academic experience is one that is not lost on all Big Ten presidents and chancellors. So going to be fascinating to see all of that. We will continue to break down what Tony Petiti means to college athletics. We'll continue to break down down the road what it means for the Big Ten SEC tug of war what it means for future collaboration and being able to integrate the 12-team college football playoff seamlessly, who are the media partners in the 12-team playoff. All those different aspects will be a huge part of the job description for Tony Petiti. But at this point, they are solely focused on getting to the 2023 season and then incorporating in 24 the two new members from Los Angeles. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out and it helps the show out. It's been so fun to interact with you in our mailbag segments. Always College Football at gmail.com. Always CFB on both Instagram and on Twitter. Hit us up and send your questions in. We've answered questions on FAU. We've answered questions on Syracuse. We've answered rush, uh, qu- questions on Rutgers. So if you have a question about your school, we'll dive in. We'll try to do some homework and try to give you a super logical answer and hopefully do the best we can to address whatever question you may have about your team. So keep the questions coming and we look forward to hitting them at a future date. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jack, Jake, Mark, I'm Greg. Hope you have a wonderful day and remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.